The Dudes of Kung Fu podcast is brought to you by Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Wing Chun Illustrated is the premier publication for Wing Chun. Published six times a year, Wing Chun Illustrated is a perfect bound, full-color, glossy publication. Each 60-page issue comes packed with in-depth content and feature stories by and about the world's greatest exponents of Wing Chun, regardless of lineage or style. Wing Chun Illustrated has featured people like Emin Bostepe, Philip Bayer, Yip Chun, Gary Lam, Donald Mack, Samuel Kwok, David Peterson, Chan Chi Man, Mark Phillips, Wan Kam Leung, Sam Lau, Robert Chu, Sifu Sergio, Victor Ken, and many, many more. There are two ways you can enjoy this fantastic publication. Go to wingchunillustrated.com and order the magazine as a print-on-demand. The print quality is simply amazing. Or download the Magster app and get a subscription. That's Magster, M-A-G-Z-T-E-R. This way, when the new issue hits the stands, you'll automatically receive it as a download onto your smart device for offline reading. In fact, with your new Magster account, you can access the magazine on multiple devices, iOS, Android, Kindle Fire, and web browser. To make the deal even sweeter, listeners of the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast can use the coupon code DUDES to get a six-month complimentary digital subscription. That coupon code is DUDES, typed in all capital letters. Go to Magster, again M-A-G-Z-T-E-R, to register, add the six-month subscription to the cart, and apply the coupon code at checkout. The Dudes of Kung Fu love Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Hey everybody, and welcome to this week's podcast. Alex and I are uh, joined by one of our favorite guests and friends, Jim Roslando from Pinsan Wing Chun. If you love history, if you love Wing Chun history, if you love Wing Chun at all, you're going to love this podcast. Jim is an absolute uh, historian when it comes to this and also a practitioner, obviously. And he just brings so much, he brings the history to life. And I'm really, I'm always happy when he joins us on this podcast. So sit back and enjoy. Dudes of Kung Fu. Please welcome your hosts, Alex Richter and Big Sean Madigan. And we're back, man. How's everybody doing? Oh, man, it's great. It's really great to be back. Um, it's also cool. We had our first uh, guest uh, on this season. We had uh, Sifu Richard Torres on the last episode. That was really fantastic. Oh yeah, he did really good. I was, uh, man. You know, I, I love, I love when you listen to the historians talk because it really shows you that I don't know shit about the history. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, like, I mean, Richard Torres knows so much about the history of Jeet Kune Do and Bruce Lee. That, yeah. I thought that was a great episode and it was really impressive. Uh, his knowledge was pretty damn impressive. Yeah, and, and I guess the, the great thing about the podcast now, the way we have it set up is uh, because the interest in the podcast has grown so much uh, that uh, we also have a lot more guests coming down the pike and, and, and plan for future episodes that um, I think the old format of it just kind of being you and me is, is slowly going to change a little bit because we're going to have uh, pretty much going to try to have guests on most of the episodes and um, that'll be a great chance for us to, you know, kind of see what other people are doing and get other people who are experts in either Jeet Kune Do or Wing Chun or various different types of those arts or just, you know, Bruce Lee historians and whatnot. So, um, you know, I've, I have uh, a couple of really cool guests uh, planned. And so uh, I think, uh, yeah, I think that's kind of a nice new phase for the podcast. Oh, yeah. Some of the feedback we've always received, especially even from the beginning, was that uh, can you get people from other lineages on to speak about their lineages and uh we're, we're definitely going to go with that it's uh i think it's going to just broaden the audience and make everybody feel a little more included right right and and as we mentioned on the last podcast and of course uh our you know longtime listeners to the podcast will have noticed that at the beginning of this episode we had something that was a little bit different than the previous episodes we had a lead-in which was our first official sponsor which is wing chun illustrated we talked about it on the last episode but now it's official we have uh, uh the, the plug at the beginning of the episode and and so i couldn't be more excited about that i mean and really wing chun illustrated absolutely stepped up to the plate with this offer for our listeners you can yes. tell like they're taking this so serious like i was so impressed when i heard that offer for the listeners yeah. i mean that's so so 
so for people who are uh, listening to the, the uh, who heard that ad at the for the first time on this podcast here, let me just reiterate what that awesome offer is. So as a listener of the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast, you get a, a six month complimentary subscription to Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine through the Magster app. So you just need to go and download magster like you know ios android there are a number of different platforms you can download that on and it's magster spelled m-a-g-z-t-e-r and you can get a uh you just basically go and go to wing chun illustrated magazine in the app uh go to add the six month subscription in the cart and then you use the coupon code dudes that's dudes in all caps and you'll get a six month complimentary subscription to Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. The great thing about the app is as soon as the new episode hits, or sorry, the new issue hits, it goes right to your phone and you can even uh, read it when you're offline as well. And so if you have a Kindle or an iPad or an iPhone or an Android phone, you can read the magazine right there uh, on your phone as well as you can go to wingchunillustrated.com and order the magazine as a print on demand. Every uh, issue is like a 60 page, uh, you know, full color, uh, beautifully bound, perfect bound uh, magazine. They're really great to look at. If you, you've seen it in the app, you know it's a great magazine. But if you've ever actually had one of the print versions in your hand, they're really amazing. So I can't uh, stress enough that, you know, you love the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast. I'm a regular columnist for Wing Chun Illustrated. And, uh, you know, it's a great support to the magazine that I write for. And you guys get a really super sweet deal uh, for being a listener of uh, Dudes of Kung Fu podcast. If you do not have a subscription to Wing Chun Illustrated, go out and do it right now. I mean, really, guys, it's free. You can't get cheaper than free. It's, it's, <laughs> can't it's be like, free. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, this is the perfect opportunity opportunity for you guys to get to see what's out there. It's a it's an awesome magazine. And by the way, if you guys think we're anybody if anybody thinks we're just talking about the magazine because of the endorsement, you're kind of nuts because we've been talking about the magazine since like episode 2. Yeah, Some actually you can go back to any of the old seasons and we we've been talking about the magazine for a very long time, so this is uh something that seemed kind of organic and seemed to to fit, so it's a really uh really great thing and you know, thanks again to Eric Lillior there at uh, Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine for helping us set this up. And uh yeah, uh, um yeah, super excited about it. Hey Sean, I, I wanted to talk to you about something um before we introduce today's guest. Um, something that I noticed when we were talking to Richard Torres on the uh last uh podcast is uh, and you know you're 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 the Jeet Kundo, you're the Bruce Lee guy. Um, I've uh, <laughs> so you know I, I'm the Wing Chun guy, right? So I have to deal with all like the Yip Man stuff, all right? So I have got plenty of um stuff on my plate for the most part, right? Not to mention the stuff within my own wacky uh, family. But uh, I noticed that within the kind of wild world of of Bruce Lee's martial arts, there seems to be like a few different time periods that he taught in. Right. So you have like the very early Seattle period, which is like the pre Jeet Kune Do period, like when he taught Jesse Glover and Ed Hart and James DeMille and those sure. guys. And then you have like the Oakland period. Right. And then you have like the L.A. Chinatown period. And then and then throughout like the L.A. period, there are like a couple different phases. There's like before he closed the school and after sure. he closed the school. And it just seems that depending on what phase your teacher comes from, that will everyone will kind of and this is this is and this isn't something just and I, well, I'm not saying Richard Torres did this I'm just right. saying it was like a random observation I had while he was talking is that there's like a general idea that that one time period that your instructor learned from is the was the golden time period for Bruce Lee so like because I've heard people from the early Seattle period like the, let's say the the non-classical Kung Fu or the pre Kundo stuff. We're not big fans of Jeet Kune Do, of what Bruce Lee did later, because their idea was that what Bruce Lee did in the early period was a little bit closer to Wing Chun. It was a little more straightforward, a little simpler, and he focused on a lot of fundamentals and forward pressure and overwhelming offense and all these kind of things. And they felt that, and, and I've heard, and I'm not going to say who, but I, I, I've talked to original students of Bruce Lee from the Seattle uh, period who think that 
Bruce omitted a lot of the like the really important Wing Chun stuff in the latter time period, like in the Jeet Kune Do phase. Like he kept some of that stuff for himself, and he didn't teach it openly. And he was focusing more on the kickboxing stuff. And then the Jeet Kune Do people are going to look back at the Seattle guys and think, "Oh, that's before Bruce Lee learned about the, you know this type of footwork and this type of movement. And that stuff is not so refined." So it seems that no matter what side of the fence you're on, you, everyone kind of has an argument as to why you should be there, right? I mean, that's yes. human nature first of all you know so if 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 we go by just people that train with me like so say some guy who came and trained with me for a year 10 years ago depending on when he came here he may find something heavy wing chun base or if he came after i met matt thornton he would find something heavy you know mma based and in his perception would be well that's what shore madigan taught and he's right, right. while he was here so <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like that's yeah. it's kind of what it is. And of course, people that you know, I, I can't speak to individual people in the Seattle. I'm not. I'm never going to mention a name because I, I I don't know the people that well. So I you know, but I will say just human nature wise, if I'm doing what I what I'm doing, I learn from say I learned something from Bruce Lee in in the Seattle era, and it's heavily Wing Chun based, and and it works, and it works for me, and it works for my students. And then I look and I see something that Bruce Lee was teaching six years later. And I say, oh, well, that wouldn't work because it doesn't have this and it doesn't have that and it doesn't have this other thing. Maybe I, maybe I don't know what Bruce Lee was teaching. I kind of see it looks different, but I didn't right. do it. So, right. I, I mean, I understand it. You know, like if you, look, if you listen to the students of um, James DeMille, you know, I've heard, I've heard him and I've heard, uh, I've read of Jesse Glover just saying things like, you know, that um, they didn't want to even go back to the, to the Seattle school because Bruce took away things that they were learning when they learned in private. So even guys in that era, with, so within that little tiny era, were not happy with what, what happened 10 minutes later. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Yeah, sure. So, sure. I, I've also read, I've read those things too. Yeah, and yeah. I, and I'm sure it's the same thing in, in uh, Wing Chun, right? I mean, well, it was I'm also sure interesting. Well, Vietnam Tour you know yeah. changed over a 10-year period i think people forget that bruce lee bruce lee passed away at the age of 32. right so i mean just think of how much of an asshole you were up until the age of 32. i'm sorry Alex. <laughs> still an asshole, i still am i'm gonna be 40 know. next month i mean how much you change i know i know myself i changed a lot over right. over that period you know i mean i'm still changing so anybody that's you know trained with me in brooklyn is going to be think what I did what I do in Staten Island is just completely different than what I used to do. Right, right. You sure, know, sure, so sure. It's, it's, I think it's definitely understandable. I mean, right, right. And it was also interesting uh, hearing his perspective on uh, hearing Richard Torres' perspective on Bruce Lee's Wing Chun because, you know, it's like the Wing Chun guys have their own view. You know, like especially the people who are around there at the time, the general consensus is that Bruce Lee did not finish learning Wing Chun, but that doesn't mean that what he learned wasn't good or that it, he couldn't apply it or whatever. But like, you know, for, for, for other people, like, but he had four teachers, you know what I mean? He learned from Yip Man and William Chung and Wong Sun Leung and Yip Man's assistant, whoever that is, I can only assume it was Leung Sung. So then there's like an idea that, well, then that must mean that he learned everything because he had four teachers. It's interesting. You know, I love Wing Chun, you know, I love Wing Chun people. Yeah. But Wing Chun people get really fucking butthurt about Bruce Lee. Oh, okay. totally. 100%. A lot of people go, you know, it's like, because, you know, because quote unquote, supposedly Bruce Lee left Wing Chun. They need a reason why Bruce Lee left Wing Chun. Yeah. So they have to shit all over him. But yes. I dare one of them to write a fucking Wing Chun book and not mention his name. Man, they mentioned <laughs> Bruce Lee a lot. You know, and oh, you know, my teacher used to go to the same bathroom stall as Bruce That's Lee. Right. You know? That's right. That's it's right. It's just like a whole bunch of bullshit. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Or, or the best is, oh, oh, you know, well, this, my, my seafood, again, I'm not saying any names because everybody gets all their panties in an uproar, but like, oh, my teacher was the special secret teacher of Bruce Lee. Yes. You know, they had a special Everyone bond. Bruce Lee. Dude, they yeah. were 16 years old. Right. You know, shut the fuck up. They were 16 years old, 17 years old. I respect what your teacher's doing. I respect what Bruce Lee was doing. But I mean, you know, every kid that I knew at 16 was a jerk off. I'm, you know what I mean? It's like, right. it's like it, people place too much importance on that crap, you know? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, you know, nonsense. So, so anyway, well, I would like to introduce our guest today. We have uh, 
for the first time ever in the podcast history, we have a guest on for the second time. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, and and uh, the first time we had the, uh, you know, uh, this guy's one of my friends. Uh, uh, Sean, you didn't really know him too well, but now in the meantime, you guys have kind of, you know, you know, met at my 15 year anniversary and kind of everyone right. became really cool. We, so we held hands we, underneath the table. We held hands nice. under the table. So we got uh, Jim Rosalando <laughs> here. How you doing, Jim? Pretty good. Sean, you said you weren't going to tell anyone about that. You weren't gonna... <laughs> <laughs> what, what happens in the banquet stays in the banquet. <laughs> so uh, for uh, for our listeners who who heard the previous podcast with Jim, Jim is an expert in Pinsan Wing Chun. Pinsan Wing Chun is um, uh, from mainland China. It's from the Gulo village. This is the Wing Chun that comes from Dr. Leung John, as most uh, Wing Chun files will know, uh, Dr. Leung John was the Gong, the grand teacher of Yip Man. And um, the Gulo village Wing Chun um, definitely bears a lot of uh, the uh, DNA ancestry from all Wing Chun there, but it does have some market differences, mainly that they don't have the Siunam Tao Chumkyu Buji kind of form structure that the uh, Yip Man Hong Kong style Wing Chun has. Um, I've been exposed to Pin Sun Wing Chun a few times. I think it's absolutely fascinating and really happy to call Jim one of my friends. And he's uh, he, he is the guy teaching this stuff. And, and so if you guys are in, in the Boston area, de definitely uh, go and check him out. So Jim, what have you been up to lately? Uh, not too much, not too much. We're doing a little bit of interesting finds uh, regarding Dr. Leung Jan and his pharmacy. So that's kind that's of right. a hot topic right now. Right, right. Uh, you know, I, I read in, yeah, in Wing Chun Illustrated, you uh, you have uh, an article that came out just in the most recent episode or the most recent issue uh, talking about what the real name of Dr. Leung Jan's pharmacy was. I, I think for the longest time, everyone... Uh, just thought it was the Jan Sang Tong, right? Or or, um, or the, um, what was it, Hang Chai Tong, right? Uh, the Apricot Forest Hall. And uh, it wasn't called Rite Aid. No, it wasn't <laughs> called Rite Aid. Um, but now you, you, you found out in, in, in exposing your most recent article that it was called, uh, what was it called? The Wing San Tong? Wing San Tong, actually. So Dr. Lung's given name, his birth name was Doc. And so, you know, his common name, though, was a lot of people were known as Leung Chen. So most people thought that his farm uh, was John San Tong. And, you know, Jan's Hall. But uh, the Gulo people actually used to think it was Hang Chai Tong or Apricot Forest Hall. And um, it was actually later uh, bought and sold, and somebody else owned it, and it was uh, renamed Hang Chai Tong. But when Leung Jan owned it, uh, it was actually Wing Sun Tong. Interesting. Interesting. So um, I, I guess for people who might not be totally in the know about uh, all this historical stuff, um, Dr. Leung Chan uh, was known basically as the, the Kung Fu King of Wing Chun. And like most of the old famous masters of those days, uh, he was also uh, he was also a doctor and, and would treat people almost in very much in a kind of Wong Fei Hong type way. I mean, many people have talked about the parallels between uh, Dr. Leung John and Wong, Wong Fei Hong. Not only that they both came from Fatsan, but they were both uh, martial art experts who also who also treated people. Is it, is it true that he was all, like he would also treat people uh, like if they couldn't afford it, he would you know he would treat them without uh, taking money and things like that. Is is that, is that also also true about Dr. Leung John? Well, you know, every family likes to think highly of their ancestors, but that's. <laughs> That seems to be the common story, and uh, you know he was famous for having a good nature. He was famous for being a ferocious kung fu fighter, and he was also an excellent medical doctor. Right. Uh, you mentioned in the article that in the front of the uh, uh, of 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 his pharmacy there were there were two poles. Like, so I assume these are like like Wing Chun style poles, or did, did I understand that correctly? Okay, so uh, there's a historian, and the historian, uh, they, put, they translated some old information that was found from, let's say, 100 plus years ago, and um, the historian was translating information on a biography of uh, Chan Sing, the uh, Hung Sing founder. And, uh, for uh, that's for Choi Lei Fat Kung Fu, right? Or Choi Lei Fat, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And inside this, there was the guy who uh, wrote the information, actually translated and said that during this time period, Leung Jan's pharmacy actually had these two wooden sticks that went straight above 
uh, red poles that uh, passed above his uh, doorway entrance. And back in that time period, that was a high sign. And uh, uh, the historian said it would have been truly outstanding. Right. Wow. Wow. Um, I think also um, we mentioned this um, the first time you were on the podcast, but, um, you know, we have a lot of new listeners. So um, for our old time listeners, I apologize if we tread over some uh, some ground that we've already been over. But I, I still find this stuff really fascinating now. Um, Larry John, who was two, basically two generations before Yip Man in the lineage, Larry John, according to your research, did not have any bat cham do or any kind of knife techniques in his Wing Chun. Is that true? As far as I believe, yeah. I don't, uh, I don't believe they had that at that time. I think that's a later, uh, maybe addition to the Foshan Wing Chun. Right, right. Yeah, because there's a lot of uh, controversy about that. People always get upset about these things if they're not passed down from 20 generations. People are always somehow suspicious of these things. Well, um, sorry. You know, it's no, go ahead. Funny. It's funny because if you watch the Yip Man movies, and what is it in the third one where he's challenged by the other master? And even in this movie, they said, your Wing Chun's not the traditional. It's only the fist, dummy, and pole or something like that. Right, right. So it's kind of like a common legend. But uh, also, it's also a sensitive subject, you know? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, being that you teach a relatively traditional form of Wing Chun, I guess, for lack of a better term, um, what do you think about this this thing we have in, in, in Kung Fu in general where everybody wants to do the thing that's old, the thing that's been around for a bit, but at the same time, it seems that every Kung Fu master seems to always improve their style, whether they do it organically or they do it... Um, you, you know, uh, um, intentionally. And, and Leung Chan definitely changed the way he was teaching in the latter period. Can you explain a little bit how the, the teaching system from maybe what he taught in Fatsan to what he taught in Gulo changed? Yeah. So uh, when he, uh, this system, it was specifically developed for his sister's son, who was Wang Wasam. And so uh, Leung Chan, a little bit older, you know, he, they say, they say that when he was originally teaching, he was teaching some facing style, some traditional Wing Chun, you know. And, uh, but Wang Wasan being so small, he wasn't able to uh, utilize these movements on the larger people. So they say Long Jan developed the style specifically for him. With regards to the training platform, if you, you've seen the 12, so you know, you, you know what it looks like. It's basically, yeah. it looks like, the few moves from the Siong Tao Chung and Bioji. So right. what we say is it retains the essence of the three sets, maybe the medium turning and the long and medium sort of attacking and defending in the Chum Q and the Bioji, maybe the sharp torquing and, uh, you know, reverse power and things like that. So we, we, we focus more on a core training platform, but uh, we have a lot of uh, partner and two-man interaction. Right. Now, before you learned that, uh, you also you also did do some uh, Yip Man Wing Chun. You, you you were at one one point at one point you had learned some. You were doing some other Wing Chun before, right? I don't want to. I don't want to tell you. I don't want. I don't want to. I'll let you speak for yourself. What 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 did you do before you came to Pizza on Wing Chun? Yeah, I bounced around for a little while. You know, I hit a few styles. I started off in uh, the uh, Li Moi Shan school for a little while, but then I went to. Uh, uh, public school for what my teacher was teaching many years ago and then I went to I was with Randy Williams for five years and then I was with the Buddha hand people for two and a half years and you know I was kind of just bouncing around and uh, eventually uh, I found my way back to the uh, to the peen sun and uh, I discarded everything else not that it didn't have value but it just I found something that I needed to train <laughs> Right. Uh, I wouldn't have uh, been able to acquire it if I was still doing a lot of different things. Sean, Sean, didn't didn't you want didn't you practice with the Buddha hand people at some point in Brooklyn, or what, didn't you tell me some story about that? Yes, I did. Uh, I did meet with um, James Kama. Oh, right, 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 right. He rest in peace. Yeah. And it was an interesting experience. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. You know, um, <laughs> You're gonna leave it at that. That's fine. Not for, yeah. <laughs> right. Sorry, I didn't realize that maybe that wasn't a story we want to talk oh, about. It was just, it was God, kill it! Kill it! I see. I see the, the head signals going from the side right now. <laughs> you know, listen, everybody has their own little perspective on things. Right. And, um, right. 
Mine's based in reality. <laughs> so, uh, um, and then after that, uh, you did the Pinsan. You also uh, started to do some internal stuff as well. Is that correct, Jim? So what, what is your internal background like? Well, you know, um, I was always a little bit fascinated about this chi thing, you know, but the Pinsan Wing Chun, although we have physical conditioning and things like that, it doesn't specifically address chi. So mm -hmm. I tried a couple things and I uh, got very little results and I was a little bit kind of frustrated. And then uh, so one gentleman told me and he said, if you want to study about chi, he said, just stand still. So I started studying John Zhuang, like standing post and uh, a little bit of each one. And so later on now today, I also uh, study directly with uh, Master Fu from the uh, Erme lineage. Right. And, and Erme... Uh uh, according to, I guess, the, the latest in Wing Chun research, uh, er, Erme, this is an internal style that is also uh, connected to, to Wing Chun as well. Is that correct? Yeah, you know, it's um, there's, there's the old form. Obviously, this, this is a subject that's bouncing around right now, you know. Sure, like, sure, sure. If you really go back to the start of it, around it was around 2007, I wrote the first article on this whole subject and uh, I had met someone who had found this connection in the poetry for them from this old Sulem Tao form. And there was poetic connections to the Erme poetry. And so did a little research and, you know, went directly to the headmaster of Erme. And uh, seven years later or something like that, he confirmed it or that there was connections and he highlighted it. It was, you know, some of the lines that were matching were like uh, were word for word. Like it was a few lines that were like exact, you know, which is just fascinating, you know. But and and and, and by poetry, uh, for some of our listeners who might not understand, we mean like the like the models and the sayings and the kunkut and things like that, as we normally say in Wing Chun, like the, I guess the principles that, uh, of the art, they, they, the the Ime ones or the Erme ones match uh, this ancient Silim Tao one, correct? Yeah, you know, so if you were to go through the, let's say, the poetry, and uh, you could highlight certain things, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. In some lines, you'd be able to highlight all the way across, but there was a lot of connection mm -hmm. there. And so uh, I had Master Fu go through and highlight it and double check it, you know, and uh, he, you know, he, th he believes there was some sort of connection. The, the, the tricky thing about this subject is that it, it's, you know, this is the... Uh, for a set, Xu Intel. This set didn't have a name. It wasn't really even called Wing Chun. You know, at that point, it, it was just a no-name thing and the art of Xu Intel. And so yeah. this art found its way to the Red Boat. And then we believe, you know, maybe it, it, it evolved and became Wing Chun, you know? So it's, uh, it's a fascinating thing, you know? And, and so what are, so as many people know that Wing Chun has a white crane influence, but Wing Chun also has an Erme influence. So what kind of, just for people who are not familiar with it at all, uh, let's just say Sean doesn't know anything about this. Let's just assume that for a moment, right? So what oh, kind sure, of... Sure, pick on Sean. <laughs> um, I can't what, imagine that. <laughs> what, what, what kind of, um, just from like kind of, kind of a, a physical or movement standpoint, what kind of things did Erme bring that are now that you could still see in the current flavors of Wing Chun? Like what, what, what did Erme bring, bring to the plate uh, that wasn't present before in the old White Crane uh, arts? Well, you know, arts don't just like come out of thin air, you know, they have to be born from something, you know. And if you look at White Crane, White Crane has been around for quite a while. And it is an art that has heavily influenced most Southern fists. Most yes. Southern fists are actually born from White Crane. Right. You know, so, um, in the Siu Tao poetry, there is these terms that are just White Crane, like specifically even Zhao Yang. Zhao Yang is the, you see the big statue of Fan Qin Yang. She's in the Zhao Yang posture. Right. You know, so this this term and movement is right in the old Sulem Tao set. But also the, um, uh, the centerline theory of Da Jung, Sao Jung and things like this, these are white crane elements, you know, but if you look at it, we're not really white crane. We don't use the San Chin horse. We don't do the San Chin breathing. We're kind of more natural. We're in a, uh, an equal sort of stance, you know, a little bit natural, almost like soft crane. So, 
the legends say Wing Chun was potentially snake and crane fused together. Let's get about the legend story and just say Fujin Crane and maybe Erme Snake. And the signature of the Erme 12 Zhuangs is uh, the snake arms. So it's right. a natural system. So if somebody potentially with this sort of background studies a little bit of the white crane, maybe the, the end results is a more natural white crane, which tends to be what Wing Chun might be. Right, right. Interesting. Yeah, well, that, that, that's really fascinating because for the longest time, the whole idea was that the style was created because, you know, so-and-so saw a fight between a snake and a crane. But now, as some of this stuff has been coming out, it seems, well, the Hermé having kind of this... So the Hermé is a type of... So it's not a snake style, but it has movements in it, like snake body or snake arm or something like that. And, and that could be the snake component potentially. Yeah, Hermes, actually, the 12 Zhuangs is a holistic system, and it's not, it's, that actually isn't a martial system. So it's, Interesting. Kind of, it's, it's a holistic system, and um, the joint handling, the snake arms, which, and the silkworm palm are the signature, which means every joint, the way the snake arm moves and stuff. And so if you look at a lot of the older Wing Chun, you know, like the Foshan forms, Let's forget even the Shulin Tao form or the preset, but the Foshan sort of forms, as soon as they punch out, they go right into the snake arms. You know, right. the arm starts waving up and down, left and right. And, you know, this sort of like natural body and joint handling has to be, had to come from somewhere. Had to come from somewhere. Interesting. Interesting. Hey guys, yeah. Question. Um, is the number 12 any kind of. Uh... Does it hold significance in Chinese culture? Because uh, I just, uh, Jim just mentioned the 12, and I know yeah. that the, my a buddy of mine who does Tai Chi talks about the, the 12 forms of the Tan Tui. And I was just wondering, is, is there a, a, a significance to 12? Is it, am I just pulling something out of nothing? But uh, is there any kind of relation between, I don't know. Because I, I know with the number four, with the number three, there's different, there's different uh, significance to the numbers. I was wondering if there's anything with the number 12. And sorry about the offshoot, but I just popped into my head and I can't control myself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, with the 12, 12 Chinese are big on symbology, you know, 318, 108. They're always into this sort of stuff. I'm sure it is. I don't know what it is. Oh, okay. Well, Alex knows everything. So, thanks, Alex. <laughs> what? Alex. Don't tell that to my wife. <laughs> Dude, your wife just put me on blast on Facebook, by the way. I'm just, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I made a bad joke about Germans. She was not happy. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, in general, the Chinese uh, are very fond of the number three. So generally, a lot of numbers that are divisible evenly by three, like three, 12, 36, like 36 chambers, 108 is is easily divisible by three like those numbers tend to to be propped up because they uh are are quite superstitious and they they tend to stay away from from other numbers like you know like the number four like we mentioned before but i don't know specifically anything about 12 besides uh you know yeah i heard jim say 12 and i remember you know one of my just mentioning the 12 10 we and yeah um jim i also noticed uh, the other day uh on your facebook you you interviewed one of wong sunlong's students who happens to live in the boston area um who, who is this guy and how'd you get in touch with him well you know it's it's fascinating um this gentleman spent about seven years maybe six nights a week like hours with wong sunlong and he's been in boston since the 70s and but he never really was very active and so uh, a friend who I met at one, actually I met it at our seminar in Boston. Uh -huh. uh, he was the person who had met Johnson Chan or Sifu Chan. And, uh, you know, so eventually we ended up hanging out and I said, I wanted to interview you and talk to you. And uh, his story is fascinating. So he was a little bit older when he started, you know, uh, he wasn't like a kid when he started. So he was already an adult. But he trained every day, probably six nights a week uh, with Wang Shenlong for hours. And then after that, he would go to Wang Shenlong's house and eat dinner with Wang Shenlong and play Mahjong with his family and his wife. And he was a famous hairstylist in Hong Kong and he cut all the Wang family's hair. So he knows all the Wang family and everybody. So the guy is really a fascinating individual. 
Yeah, I think that's a weird thing about, like, you live in Boston. Obviously, Boston has a big Chinatown, has a big Chinese population. I'm here in New York, and, and you know, I've been to other Chinese regions, like with San Francisco, L.A., and it's always interesting because there you inevitably find these guys who, like, they either learn from someone famous or they were very close to someone famous in martial arts, and they've been here for a while, and you would never know unless, like, somebody said something and it's really interesting because i think like as westerners we tend to trumpet like oh i'm you know i learned from this or i do this we tend to wear this stuff on our sleeve and yet you have these like real hidden dragons from asia who learn from like legit guys and probably are really quite skillful themselves that just came here and decided you know to open a restaurant or something like that and i think that's always that was kind of fascinating yeah well, on, on that note, you know, this gentleman, he arrived in Boston around 1978, if my memory is correct. And I was at a, a birthday party with him and his family, and we're all sitting around, and, you know, uh, the whole family's there, and they look at me, and they're like, well, who are you? You know, what are you doing here? <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm, I'm here to, for your dad. And, you know, and they said, well, what for? And I said, well, he's a kung fu expert and from the same family I'm from, you know? And they said, well, you know what? They go, we didn't even realize that, you know, so it was like, you know, he kept it quiet most of his life and, you know, and the kids didn't even know till recently or something, you know, and it was just, it's unbelievable, you know? Yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy how the Chinese are capable of that, even, uh, as I mentioned on the podcast before, like Angela Mao, who was like in Enter the Dragon, this Kung Fu starlet, this huge star from the 70s. In the 90s, she just came to the, to New York and opened a Chinese restaurant and didn't tell anybody that she was like Angela Mao from Enter the Dragon and Hapkido and all these films. And she raised a family. And I met her two sons who grew up here in New York. And they're like as New York as they come. Like, yeah, my mom's Angela Mao. Like, you know, like they, they truly sound like that, right? And uh, they both told me, they said they didn't even know until they were much older that their mom was like a Kung Fu star. They're like... She never told us. She was like, for us, she was just mom. She cooked for us and she took care of us. And it wasn't until they went on some random trip to Taiwan that uh, some family member mentioned that one of her old movies was playing or something. And and then they found out. And 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 it's it's interesting, like, you know, when we talk about that, you know, humility definitely being a martial virtue. And, and there definitely are some people who, who really espouse that and, and, you know, can think of you know, very few American actors who would have that level of success and then just like decide, oh, I'm just going to go open a restaurant in Canada and just call it a day. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, it is interesting. It's, it's, it's funny, you know, when I went there and uh, I took my iPad with me and I said, okay, I'm just going to like take some notes and fire off some questions. And it's, every question I asked, he would like spew out this fascinating and endless information about Wang Chunlong and his wife and his kids and what Wang Chunlong, he was a great cook and Wang Chunlong, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, there's no way possible for me to like write all this down unless I was like a court stenographer or something. <laughs> so I told the guy, I'm like, we're going to have to like record this at some point. You know? <laughs> That's awesome. You really should. I think that would make uh, that that make a great little video or or webisode. And I think now that we have the technology literally on our phones, I think we we need to start doing this stuff, especially with the older kung fu masters, because uh, nobody's really taking care. I think to to really document these things, and you know, I think it's kind of a shame when when these stories go by the wayside. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Alex is just trying to get his students to ask him questions. <laughs> he's getting older. He's mentioned his age. He's gonna be forty. <laughs> hey, I'm retiring from teaching group classes in 2019, so they don't have much. They don't have much longer to ask me before I ascend to the Wu Tang Mountain and never return. <laughs> hey, to graduate technical so, level two, and Alex Alex has to get interviewed by his students each. Student. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I keep dropping hints, but they don't seem to be. They don't seem to be getting it. <laughs> so, so Jim, do you do you teach regular ongoing classes? in the bean sun yeah you know uh I, well twice a week monday night i teach at mit i teach the qigong and then on thursday night i teach the bean sun class and i do a lot of private coaching and uh people come up for like weekend intensive classes and things like that right right and did, did i did i see that did you move your location or or uh 
Uh, I'm actually going to be moving. Yeah. So uh, my office building uh, in uh, has a had a large gymnastics uh, studio plus a dance studio and an office underneath or one section of it. And so uh, that area is coming available. And so I actually going to be getting that and uh, moving my club over to there or my class over to there. Yeah. Awesome. And, and you've, you've also had a couple seminars where you had, uh, well, I remember it was kind of like a friendship seminar. You had me come up and you had uh, Phil Romero from Hawkins Chung. And, and, then, uh, or, uh, and then in the meantime, you've had uh, Mark Phillips as well, too. Yeah, Mark, Mark's a great guy. We did the second event uh, up in Boston, and uh, Mark came over from England. Phil came over from New Mexico, and uh, Mark's a great guy, you know, and uh, uh, I, uh, that's why I was happy when we were able to come over to New York and hang out a little bit. And uh, Yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. So uh, in, in, in general, do you, uh, what, what do you see for the future of, like, an art like Pinsan? Obviously, it's not as well-known as – Yip Man, Wing Chun, and so on and so forth, and and uh, you know, do you do you see it ever becoming something that's taught uh, more openly, or do you basically kind of see it as something that's going to be passed down, you know, just to a couple people at a time, and it's going to keep kind of a very narrow lineage as it goes on? And and what would you like to have happen to it? Well, you know, it's uh, I kind of feel a little bit awkward. You know, because it's uh, I have this true love for this art, but I also see how it's kind of you know evolving and things like that. And uh, I would love for the classical Pinsan Wing Chun of Lung Jan to be you know shared and more people can get exposure to it. But what's happened today is uh, Gulo Wing Chun, this Gulo Wing Chun, you know that like it's this umbrella for almost anything and everything that's coming out of the village. And it's causing a lot of like confusion. So if anything, I wish that the old timers that were practicing the classical Ping Sun Wing Chun would maybe get together and, you know, come out and uh, <laughs> do things like that. Or maybe, you know, do something, you know, that people can see it. And so it'll spread more. But other than that, I do my best, you know, uh, I, I'm always busy doing something with Ping Sun Wing Chun. Well, I mean, I found that the, the when you showed me the uh, what you guys do with Chi Sao at Alex's party, I found it to be amazing. Like, I mean, I was I was confused as hell because it was very different than what I'm used to. But um, I I love that. That was I would I want to learn. I would love to learn some more of that. I know my students that have uh, trained with you, Chris and Seth. Yeah, good guys. They love you. I mean, to the point where I'm fucking tired of you. Throw it on the table, huh? Chris and Seth have trained with you, I guess, two or three times now, or something. And they they talk so highly of you, and they were so happy that I was, you know, we became like good friends at Alex's thing. And they were like, "Did you do the cheese out with him?" You know? And I said, "Well, he showed me a little bit of it." I said, "But I was really confused. It was really different, you know." But I was think people, there's no there's no Punsao platform right in the Lang John system. The 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 is structured a little bit differently, right? Yeah, there's no like Bon Tang uh, Luxao rolling. There's the those interactions in between the hewn, the way the the hands circle and stick towards each other. Was, so there's it was always so a circle. Sweet. It was uh, so different, I, and I, it it it, it kind of led to questions. Like I know this is supposed to be more about the history, but. Um, I would love to really dive in one day and just talk about, like, and, and pin something to like, what's the, is there an emphasis on the center line as there is in the standard Yitman Wing Chun, where everything seems to be like, you know, stick to center, stick to core. It just, and, 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 the, and the drilling type motions of the uh, Fu Tan Bong kind of like emphasizes that. I was wondering, and again, I you know did that did your chisao once for three seconds, so I can't speak to it at all. Is is that emphasized in, in your system at all, or or more or less? I mean, you, you have experience in both, so can you talk about the idea of centerline horse, centerline and horse in Pinsang Wing Chun? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the um, uh, one of the things nowadays you see rolling around is like the circling hands and things like that. 
it's they look like they're the hands are moving around all different directions and it's a little bit different than the way Leon Jan's circling hands was because ours circle around the wrist but all Wing Chun is Da Jung Sao Jung which means attack center protect center it's really quite simple you know and it's brilliant in that too though so Pinsan Wing Chun's no different where we Da Jung Sao Jung so our wrist elbows things like that we're always protecting our center and in the Chi Sao when the arms are circling around, it's not so different than the Luxao. One hand goes for the free ride. One hand is a positive action, you know, but um, the sticking, the way the each joint is loosely moving and the way it sticks, it's just a teeny bit different. It's a little bit different, you know, and uh, it gives a little different feel to it. But the emphasis is still on center and Always. sticking to center. Always. Right. Yeah, I think uh, also for some of our listeners who might not, uh, be totally up on all the history. When, when, when we talk about like Gulo or Gulo Village or Pinsan Wenchan, um, people need to understand that Dr. Leung Chan was in Fatsan. Fatsan is a very prominent city in, in Guangdong in southern China where a lot of famous martial artists came from. Obviously, Leung Chan, Yip Man came from there. Wong Fei Hong from Hong Kun, uh, famous Choile Fat Master. So Fatsan was like a hub of southern Chinese Kung Fu. And uh, when Dr. Leungjian retired, he moved to Gulo Village. Now, um, where is Gulo geographically compared to Fatsan? Yeah, I think it's like two hours. Two hours, two hours away. So it was like a little village. He moved there, and then basically he was teaching, essentially, uh, he was teaching Wong Wasam and creating a system for him. And then this became a, um, a, a slightly... Um, simplified version of his older program, I suppose. Uh, was, is that a fair way of, of categorizing it? Yeah, you know, so Long Jin was born in Gulo, and, but lived most of his life in uh, Fatsan. There's a long uh, tradition of the Long family in uh, Gulo, and uh, his sisters and things. So he actually, when he moved back, his, sister, his sister's son lived right next door to him. Um, even Wang Wa Bo was said to be a Gulo native. Yeah, so there's a connection there that's been for quite a while, but also in Fatsan. So most of his life he was in Fatsan, and then later on he retired back in Gulo. And so the, like I said, the, the platform is a little bit, it's more of a core platform, but the two-man interaction, all the, the Choksao and the Chisao and the Sansao, uh, you know, those are all, that's the heart and soul of our art. Right. Um, there's also, uh, to come, to, always to, to make it about Yip Man again, uh, there's always been the big story that uh, Grandmaster Yip Man, when he was young, had learned from the son of Leung Chan during his time at uh, St. Stephen's College, and supposedly the son of Leung Chan was able to pass on to him the more refined version of Wing Chan that uh, supposedly uh, Yip Man was not able or not privy to learn from his first Sifu. Um, and so that has also been a very controversial thing because uh, you have most of Yip Man's students who, who believe to their dying day that Leung Bik was real. And then you have a whole certain contingency that believe he was a made-up fairy tale character to disguise the fact that Yip Man may have learned from other sources. And um, so people have gone back and forth on this. So you are kind of, you are the most renowned and foremost expert on Leung John here in the States. Um, so did Leung Big exist? Was he a real person? Uh, um, do we have, I know your article talked a little bit about this. So, so was Leung Big real? Okay. So, you know, it's uh, Fatsan and Gulo lineage from Leung Jan all mention Leung Big as a person, you know, so there's a good chance, you know, he was a legitimate person in that sense. But uh, this most recent person that came out was named Young Man Locke. And this Lung Man Locke, I, you know, uh, he was very quite controversial. And uh, some of the information that was attached to his earlier information might wasn't coming from him either. So being attached to a controversial lineage plus being attached to some controversial information didn't didn't make it so nice in the beginning you know to uh so my my or what do i i'm a skeptic with all information let's just say that you know? yeah and uh but more recently you know i the, my mind has been changed you know 
And uh, the Foshan researchers have gone to this person, Longman Locke, and he's actually he's the one who actually provided them with the uh, business certificates and lease for Dr. Long Jan's old pharmacy. So, you know, th this is something that's passed down through family, and it, it would be quite an elaborate hoax for someone to make no money off of and to not want to be bothered by anyone, you know? It's right. not like selling anything. So, yeah. for, for for, so for people who may not know this, Leung Man Lok is supposedly a direct descendant of Leung Jan, and he lives, like, in Hong Kong now, right? Yes, he's 93 years old. Uh, so it goes as such. Leung Jan, Leung Bik, Leung Jil, Leung Man Lok. So he's like the great-grandson, you know, a great great and um, so, yeah, it's it's just it's interesting, you know. And uh, I really, there's no other way. It has to be a family connection or an heirloom to have that sort of information. And uh, he says, uh, according to them, Lung Bik would have been in Hong Kong during that time period. Mm. Uh, whether Yip Man trained with him, met him, uh, you know, I don't know. I can't say that, but the, the information. They say that uh, Yip Man uh, received tutelage under uh, Lung Bik in their, you know, history there. Now, mm. is that something that was passed down as a family lore, or was that something they heard later and they wrote it right. down? I just don't know, you know. And uh, all my attempts to interview him has fallen short. And uh, he just doesn't want to be bothered by Wing Chun people because he's not a Wing Chun practitioner. <laughs> well, I'm a Wing Chun practitioner, and I hate being bothered by Wing Chun people for the most part. We're, we tend to be kind of annoying. <laughs> I kind of agree with them. <laughs> well, it's interesting, too. I mean, I think in, in those days... I mean, how would Yip Man have known the name Leung Bic? Uh, I mean, you know, it wasn't like there was an internet or something at that time. Um, I mean, it is interesting. I was also a Leung Bic skeptic for, for quite a bit. But, you know, I'm just kind of agnostic on all these kind of things. It's like, well, I, I, I don't know. And, and I haven't seen any of the material, uh, you know, in, in front of me. So it's very, it's, it's very, these things all just feel like thought experiments for the most part. Yeah, you know, it, it is quite possible that they met, but... You know, one of the things I wonder then is if it's, it's a discussion about Chi Sao, so we have to go back to the technical aspects. And so if he was supposedly trained by Leung Bik and uh, Leung Jan had all these circling hands, either if he did teach it to Yip Man, did Yip Man keep it or did he not? You know what I mean? So there's a platform difference between Foshan Wing Chun and Gulo Wing Chun. And I would be curious to know, you know, if it's – did he have that platform? Did he, if he did, did he not share it? You know what I mean? There's so much right. to think about, you know? Yeah. Well, in, in the, uh, in, in the Lang King system, I mean, in, in, you know, the, the Punsa was very standard in, in, in many respects to the other Yip Man lineages, but we do have a number of, of switching hand methods of what we call Wun Sao, where, you know, switch from inside to out and from under the arm to over and from the high Fuxiao out position, which are kind of taught supplementary, but they're not a platform per se. But I, I, I found that there, there are some similarities in terms of the movement. So um, it, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a curious thing, I suppose. Like uh, he may have taken it and changed it. He may have added it later or, you know, re-edited it. It's interesting. Yeah, all masters do their thing, you know, they all have their acquired knowledge from over the years, and it's, you know, I think that, I personally think that Yip Man and Leung Jan have certain things in common in terms of mindset, you know, if you look, a lot of masters, either when they acquire information, they either grossly expand, or they see the core and all, and they refine, and so if you look at, like, uh, uh, Leung Jan, Towards the end of his life, he taught a nice, refined system. You know what I mean? If you look at Yip Man, he taught a nice, refined system. These guys weren't so interested that they needed to, like, expand their art to show what is the common thread between all of it. You know, so it's uh, – even if you, you go back to the internal systems, a lot of those guys like Wang Chung Jai compare him to – uh, the Xingyi brothers, some of them created sun-style Tai Chi and all sorts of long sets, and where Wang Shengjai just chopped it down and said, stand still, move a little 
push in. You know what I mean? So that kind of mindset in between Yip Man and Lung Jan that there maybe is a common thread. Now, does it does does it bother you as a somebody who practices Wing Chun, which is very famous, but you don't do the the quote unquote Yip Man Wing Chun? Uh, that sometimes the kind of the Yip Man guys tend not to give the non Yip Man guys the kind of credit they deserve. Does that uh, does that ever irk you, or do you just not care? <laughs> no, you know it doesn't bother me. It's uh, it's just normal, you know. Like uh, they most people think because Pin Sun Wing Chun doesn't have three fist sets. It's just some like cheapy, uh, quickie self-defense couple moves for like, you know, self-defense. And really, if you, you look at the design of it and the training and the progression, it's quite brilliant. And uh, it's just too much of the arts that go out there and too much of the early information from Google was just, oh, it's just Sansao. It's just Sansao, you know, right, right. not the case. It's really, a you know, his life's knowledge taught through a core platform. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that uh, what you said about the parallels between him and, uh, and, and Yip Man. I think that, yeah, it, things can either go one way or another. And I always prefer the people who tend to kind of refine and simplify because, uh, you know, it is about getting the core down and not necessarily about expanding. There's too much of that in Chinese Kung Fu, I think, where people think that they need to have more forms and more sets and you're Kung Fu style is legitimized by having, you know, 20 different forms instead of just a few and and experience actually fighting with people doesn't necessarily reflect that having more forms is the solution. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not into it, you know. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> it, was, it was very funny. Uh, you remember Maxifu, both of you guys met Maxifu at, at the, the, the 15 uh, uh, year anniversary and he, uh, you know, Hungar is a style known for uh, having many, many forms. But uh, what people don't realize is the old style Hungar, the time from like Wong Fei Hong, had maybe six to nine core forms. And that was it. And Lam Sai Wing added a bunch of stuff. Lam Joe added a bunch of stuff. And then now they have like over 30 to 40 forms in the modern Hongkong curriculum. It went from nine to 40. And and it's funny because when when uh, one of my students asked Maxivu, they go, ah, Maxivu, um, so how many forms do you know? And he goes, he's kind of scratching his head, which is funny for us because we, we do Wing Chun. We can tell you exactly how many forms we know, right? And he's scratching his head and he's like, I used to know 31, but now I only know 28 <laughs> or something like that. It was like, it was crazy. And we're like, wow, I couldn't imagine knowing all those forms. Yeah, too much for me, too much for me. At least with the Wing Chun, you know, it's not a crazy pla a crazy platform that you got so much stuff. Even if it's the three sets or the Peen Sun, it's simple. So it's more about depth of cultivation, you know what I mean? Because the human body can only move in so many ways. So repetition builds the the gang and all that other stuff. Right, right. Yeah, it would be it would be nice if more kung fu people saw it that way. You know, thinking more about fundamentals and common core principles rather than always thinking that the solution to being a better fighter is bolting on more stuff. As if you make a race car more streamlined by bolting more parts onto it. You know. You guys are starting to sound like JKD people. <laughs> <laughs> well in theory but i don't know sometimes I, th I think they're also bolted on stuff too what do you what do you say sean oh i mean you know half i can't tell you the amount of jkd people that all they want to do is add more esoteric bullshit but um when you when you talk about talk to jkd people that have a brain in their head and they realize that uh you know you know, if he could, if he could beat you with a finger jab, he would. That this this idea of they 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 the JKD people. I love JKD people have two things that they love to do. First, they love to fuck up Wing Chun drills. They, <laughs> they do. They just love to fuck up a Wing Chun drill. No one can fuck up a Wing Chun drill better than a JKD person. It's awesome. <laughs> and the other thing they do is they love to misunderstand one of Bruce Lee's quotes. This idea, the way of no way, they love to interpret that as the way of always. They they, right. they they confuse the way of no way and the way of always. You know, and you sit there and they're like, oh, we're gonna learn twenty seven fucking martial arts and then pick you know, you know, five techniques from each art and what, uh, what a bunch of bullshit. But um, oh yeah, but Wing Chun people, 
I can see they look at they look at JQD people with disgust and and it's well earned. Because <laughs> I love G Kendo, I love some JKD people, but they can fuck up Wing Chun beautifully. <laughs> I, I once went to a G Kendo school, I can't say where, but they're listening because I know they listen. And um, and they, they asked me to come work with their Chi Sao. And I'm like, all right, let's see what you guys do. And we got there, and I swear to God, they all put on MMA gloves and mouthpieces and just started beating the shit out of each other. I'm like, what the fuck are you people doing? It's Chiso, man. It's, it's the art of we, the sticking hands. We do full contact Chiso. Like, <laughs> right, I'm gonna go eat a pizza. You guys just, you know. <laughs> but yeah, JKD people. Oh, you ever see JKD people? JKD people trying to cheer? Oh, forget about it. It's, it's amazing. It's, of course, everybody's got a blown out knee because they're right. just doing. Bunch of morons. Anyway, that's my <laughs> well, we, we can always, it's just like I could talk shit about Wing Chun people. You can talk shit about Jeet Kune Do people. It's like, you know, it, it, it's always, it always tends to be the people on your own team that tend to annoy you the most. You know, it's oh, like absolutely. It's nothing more embarrassing than like when some Wing Chun guy wants to comment on some MMA guy's post and I'm just like, oh man, stop, please just stop. Like, come on. Like, it's like I won, I won one of the largest Jeet Kune Do Facebook groups. And I can't go to it anymore because I go out of my fucking mind. Yeah, I remember you invited me to it, and then at some point I was like, "Sean, man, I love you to death, but I gotta leave. I gotta leave that group because, like, oh, I, I, I just, I just can't. I, I, I see a notification, and then I just look, and I'm just like, I just can't. <laughs> like, no, I, I, I know. It's, I, it's just, I got kung fu shit to do. <laughs> you know, like I, one guy posted one day. It was in another group that I, I just quit the group because I just couldn't deal with it anymore. That you know, you should never go above yellow belt in any martial art. Because that's what Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee would make sure that he'd never go higher than yellow belt in any martial art. Because then you become too indoctrinated in that art. Uh huh. So he was a yellow, so he was a yellow belt in Wing Chun under Yip Man. (laughs) So I'm like, I I, I, I had enough. And I'm like, okay, I will bet you any number, any amount of money you want, find me the quote. Find me the fucking quote. Bruce Lee find 6,000 pages of notes. You find the quote, I'll mail you money. I'm like, yeah. it's just the people, it's just, it's ludicrous. JKD people just, I want to just slap them with a stick. <laughs> well, on that note, I, th- I think this is a great place to end the podcast. Yes. <laughs> it's hey, Jim, it's been great catching up with you again. I really hope we can do this more often. And uh, yeah, when are you coming up to New York next? Are we going to see you anytime soon? Well, I think, I think uh, there's a good chance I'm, Maybe the first or second weekend in December, we usually go out there to go check out all the Christmas lights and things like that. So uh, (laughs) I'm doing the tourist thing, you know, I'll I'll keep you posted. Well, in December, I'll be in sunny Miami for the entire month of December because uh, this is just like a thing I do now because I I can't deal with New York winters anymore. And uh, so, yeah, so I guess it'll have Jim, we we had said that we really want to get together without Alex anyway, so. (laughs) (laughs) Did you just say it's a thing I do? I just go to Miami for a month. I say that I say that way just to annoy Sean because I know it totally. I just got this is a thing I do. I just go away now, like for a month. One day I just want to hold Alex on the water till the bubbles stop. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, well, then we'll have to find some other time. Maybe I'll, I'll make it up to Boston at, at some point soon too. That'd be, be definitely good to see again. And uh, thanks for uh, coming on the podcast again. And uh, um, you know, anytime you want to come back, you're more than welcome. And uh, where can people uh, follow you on social media? Where's it? But do you have as a site for your um, like a Facebook page for your school or anything? Uh, well, you can look me up on Facebook at Jim Rose Lando, but I also have uh, GulaoBoxingAssociation.com, and they can go over there and check out some different information. Awesome. Cool, cool, cool. Well, guys, make sure you check that out. I had a really great time, Sean. I hope you had a great time. Absolutely. Always. All right, Jim. Thanks so much for, uh, for coming, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Guys, it was great. Thank you so much. All right, bye-bye. Thank you for listening to our latest episode. Please help us get the word out there by sharing this and other episodes on your favorite social media platforms. If you're enjoying the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast, there are many ways in which you can support it. Go to dudesofkungfu.com support to find out how you can help your favorite Kung Fu podcast. We are currently using Patreon to automate great benefits to those who support the podcast. 
As a supporter of The Dudes, you'll get early access to episodes, as well as a number of other benefits based on your donation level. This includes in-depth topic lectures and even monthly live video conferences with The Dudes. Again, go to dudesofkungfu.com support to find out more about that. As always, you can help support us in small ways as well. Give us a like at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page and share links to episodes. If Twitter is your preferred social media outlet, you can follow the Dudes of Kung Fu there as well. Both Big Sean Madigan and yours truly are on Twitter too. Dudes of Kung Fu is now also on Instagram, so tag it along with the hashtag Dudes of Kung Fu whenever you post something related to the podcast. A great way to support the Dudes is to rate and review it on either the iTunes or Android app stores. The written reviews are immensely more helpful than just giving us a five-star rating. If you have any suggestions for topics or guests, please write us at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page. Please understand that neither Sean nor I can guarantee a response, but we will consider any serious suggestions. And finally, I ask that you help spread an open dialogue with other practitioners of martial arts. Chinese Kung Fu in particular has long since suffered from caustic political discourse, which can only change with you. Remember, the person you wholeheartedly disagree with doesn't love martial arts any less than you do. Take care, and thank you for supporting the Dudes of Kung Fu!